Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate, gathering the voices of medical affairs thought leaders and stakeholders to explore current trends, define best practices, and empower the medical affairs function. Opinions are those of the presenters and do not imply endorsement by their organizations. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS, and today we have part two in the series of MAPS Health Economics and Outcomes Research Podcasts sponsored by the Alpha Group of Medical Communication Companies. This podcast features two experts, Dr. Kent Summers and Dr. Steve Camper. Gentlemen, hello. Would you care to introduce yourselves and your backgrounds, please? Good afternoon. Kent, you go first. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Garth. And thank you, Steve. Yeah, I'm Kent Summers. Uh, I'm a pharmacist by training. I went on to get a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences with a focus on economics. I've been working in health economics and outcomes research for about 30 years now. Uh, I'm currently the strategic lead uh, of health economics outcomes research for Alpha QSI, a subsidiary of Alpha Biocom. Previously, I was at Lilly. I've also been the vice president of HOR for Indo. I've also in my career been the health economist for the Indiana Medicaid program, as well as the VP of pharmacoeconomics and clinical programs at Prudential Healthcare. And Steve? Steve? Steve White Kent is my, my mentor. Um, and uh, I, uh, slightly different path. Um, I, I, my doctoral work is in physiology, so I'm a physiologist by training. Uh, tend to tend to look at things as a physiology problem for the most part. Um, did a fair amount of additional training in health economics and, and outcomes research, and really tend to focus on that a little bit more. Um, started my career in patient care, in preventive medicine, and and, and rehab medicine. Um, and twenty some years ago, moved into the pharma um, world and have been doing medical affairs and uh, he or work uh, and managing those functions in some capacity for the last 20 years. All right, well, as you know, we had a question set to start our podcast here and it was an HUR question, but Kent, uh, tell me the story of how you met Steve 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost 12 years to the date. It may even be to the date. Uh, 12 years ago, uh, I was a professor at Purdue University, and uh, I was asked to come into Indo and to work with Steve Camper, who represented the Medical Affairs Group. And their goal was to have a program, which we, Steve and I, worked together on to develop for the organization to talk about the principles and practices of HEOR and working with the entire group. We had medical affairs there, managed markets, we had the full spectrum of folks there. Okay. So we've, so been, we've, no, we've worked together uh, over some period of time. Well, okay. So that's 12 years ago, right? So why are we still talking about the integration of HEOR with medical affairs when, when it's been 12 years? Want me to start that one? Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot longer than 12 years, actually. But uh, as far as looking for that integration, um, I think there are a number of reasons for it. Um, I think that there are um, competing priorities. There, is, you know, in every industry, silos exist, and um, and 
you know, and, and everyone's opinion that uh, their, their work is first and foremost. Um, and I think there's always the opportunity to look at how can we do things collectively to, to bring better value to the organization. And that continues to be what I think most organizations are trying to do. Okay, so Kent, maybe get us started on how HEOR and medical affairs should collaborate. Well, uh, first of all, uh, is to recognize the differences. You know, I can imagine coming from the medical affairs perspective, you know, where the dominance is probably going to be a lot of basic science training, uh, physicians, uh, pharmacists, PharmDs, uh, a lot of PhDs, a lot of basic sciences. And as they're viewing this whole HUR function, we're both nebulous and uh, nascent. Uh, by that, I mean nebulous. What does, it, what's, what does an HUR person look like? Well, it's, it's a conundrum. We have specialties in the areas of epidemiology, economics, psychometrics, uh, public health, we have physicians, we have pharmacists, we have uh, PharmDs. Uh, we have a lot of different folks who compose what is recognized as being health economics. So it's hard to get your handle on. It's hard to get your hand on. If I'm looking at it from the medical affairs side, who is HUR? What are they? And they're this nebulous group of things and they put together studies that aren't necessarily clinical trials. And, you know, if my job is to get uh, registration, if I, my job is to get the drug over the finish line for registration, then why, you know, why do we have this HUR function? And, and why do they try to muddle up my clinical trials with these PROs, these patient reported outcomes that only add to patient burden and, you know, may even hinder, may cause uncertainty regarding my, my metric, which is getting the drug registered. Well, that, that sets up the challenge. So then what is the benefit to medical affairs of including the HUR per, per perspective, Steve? Well, I think you have to look at it or maybe it's, maybe it, it's best to look at it by um, looking at the company's customers. Um, you know, they're, if, if, the customer, if the customer were only um, the clinician the provider or, or, or even the, the researcher, um, the clinical researcher, that would lend itself to, um, uh, to maybe going down one path as Kent just described. But from a commercialization standpoint, there are a number of customers. There is the patient, there's the provider or the clinician, there's the researcher, there's the, and there is also the payer. And, and I think if we start looking at the, the customer universe that, that the company has and that the ultimate goal is successful commercialization of the asset, then it would lend itself to bringing all these, these, these parties to the table and, and collab and, and being more collaborative. Um, sometimes that's a little bit disjointed, I think still um, in, in our industry. Okay. And, and two, Garth, if I could add on to that, think about the fundamental orientation of the study design and the statistics. The orientation is to inform clinical decisions and that's recognized by the FDA as requiring significant scientific uh, evidence to inform an individual clinical decision. Do I put this drug, do I put this patient on this drug or not? And the FDA recognizes that and that's the highest level of science that's needed. On the other hand, the managed markets, uh, people in health systems uh, don't make clinical decisions, they make population-based decisions, they make policy decisions. 
in which there's such great variety in the patient presentations, a clinical trial is a necessary foundation, but it's not sufficient to inform those policy decisions. And so that's where health economics and outcomes research comes in. And, and I will add one thing to what Ken said, and he said this for years, and, and I, I'm going to give him full, full credit for this. Um, in terms of bringing them together, that very data that, that he just talked about is what forms the foundation for, I don't know the number, but I'm gonna, the majority, I'm going to say, of, of the healer research that's done. It, yeah, it might move into an economic story that's being told, but the most of the time it starts with what the clinical story is and then moves into the economic story, which to my mind says right there, let's start, let's move these people together. Let's blend these people because both, both sets of data or both approaches to data are generating what the story should be. And, and I can even piggyback on that. I continue to, uh, I've been on editorial advisory boards and I continue to review papers. A lot of papers that come through that don't get published, they don't have a clinician on the authorship team. So I can do a database study and look at all the silly, you know, things that really don't make any sense clinically. If I don't have a clinician on that team guiding the questions that are being asked, you may not get published. And so that's why I've made a practice that every time we have a database study, we've got to have a well-recognized clinician. Typically, one of the KOLs uh, in the company would serve a great role in helping us get at what are the patients we should be looking at, what are the treatment patterns we should be following, and what makes sense. You know, does this thing have face validity, this database study? Does it have face validity? That's the first thing I look at when reviewing a paper. And if it's just a database study that says we found that it costs X to treat Y, uh, you know, without the clinical foundation, it, it really doesn't make sense, nor even at the managed care at the uh, health systems level. Those folks are going to be MDs and PharmDs. They've first got to be convinced that there's a clinical need for this product and a clinical justification for its use before you even start going into the economics component and the patient reported outcomes component of it. Boy, that is a gorgeous story of integration and collaboration between the clinical side and the HEWAR side. You know, I remember I used to do cancer communications, and I remember at one point people were doing SEER studies and whatever, and, and it was a JAMA or NEJM where there was an opinion that called them data parasites. And so these, these researchers claimed right. the term. They said, yes, we are data parasites, and we're going to give you actionable insights into all of this SEER data that, that is, is going to allow us to use these clinical studies in the real world. Now, is that the role of HEOR, is, is to say, okay, you've got this great new drug. Can you use it? Can you not use it? Here's where you can and can't. Well, now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here with a caveat. FDA mm -hmm. regulations are very specific and explicit. They haven't changed. It has to be in the approved indication. So again, we all start with the clinical indication. Yeah. I can't do a database study on hair loss if my drug is intended for, you know, treating the common cold. That's, that's, not, that's not good science. That's not good practice. And that's against FDA regulations. So it all starts with your clinical indication. And I agree with that. I, and I would add that it can provide and will provide insights into what is going to be 
and I'll just use the, the, the term, um, the most cost-effective way to treat um, a condition. Um, so, and which obviously more and more today that comes into play and that's what's being driven that's driving things. So again, it's, to me, it's a collaboration. It's, it's everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's combining all of those, that those expertises, if you will, to speak to the different customers. And I look at that from a medical affairs strategy perspective. My strategy isn't one-sided it's 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 a blanket strategy so everybody needs to be at the table okay so it sounds like you know we, we've got 12 years plus you said a lot more of of what disintegration uh between Hior and and medical affairs we do have some stories of collaboration like kent's story of, of putting clinicians on database studies you know on papers but okay, so what is the answer then? What is the answer, and how to bring these functions together to to you know create synergies that are that are bigger than each individually? Well, if you want, I can I can start off, uh, Steve. Uh, we had uh, at the at the company Steve and I worked at, we had a monthly health economics and outcome strategy team. Uh, we had a monthly meeting in which we reviewed first the strategy then the tactics, and then we developed new research questions. Now, not, not all of my colleagues did it the same way. Some of my colleagues would have just a show up and throw up session. We've all been to those meetings, right? Where they show up with a big set of slides and we've got 80 slides in 30 minutes. You know, that didn't work so well. As we evolved in our working with it, we evolved into the functions and we realized that, you know, people who are involved in the strategy are different folks that need to be involved in the uh, research question generation. So we separated it out. So if you have a one size fits all approach, you're probably not gonna be as successful. Now that said, we need to have, you know, at the strategy meeting, it needs to be on track with the medical strategy where we need the HOR needs to be supporting and complementary to the medical strategy and the messages that they're providing to the uh, market. It has to be on track with the managed market strategy and it has to be fully compliant. So legal and regulatory all need to be there and all need to have their eyeballs on it. And if the HOR person cannot justify their strategy, they need to do a little bit more work. If it's not clear to the managed, managed or to the um, uh, medical affairs group, mm -hmm. then they need to make it clear. It's up to HOR to do that. And if they can't make it clear, then they need to work harder. And, and, and I will say, I, I actually am using a, a version of that model today. Um, and it's, I kind of look at, at a part of what medical affairs function is in terms of supporting um, uh, an asset or a, a marketed product and commercialization of those, uh, of those assets is, in a sense, you can break a lot of it down into data generation activities, data dissemination activities that support certain positioning statements. Could be a marketing positioning statement, could be a medical positioning statement, but you've got these positioning statements that drive the commercialization of an asset. Those statements, for the most part, need to be based in data. And that data may come from more, more clinically based project, it may come more from a HEOR-based 
project. Um, but they all are coming together in, in to support specific positioning statements. So to my mind, wherever anybody reports or, or what, the, what the organizational structure looks like, there's got to be um, uh, a collaborative effort um, and, 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 and um, team, if you will, that coordinates all of that and, and starts and walks through these. And to Ken's point, it's, it's, very, it's very simple, really. We believe in this statement. Do we have data to support this statement? Yes, great. If we don't, we need to generate it. How do we generate it? There's the discussion and that I just described. And then you move into the publication of that and so on and so forth. So to my mind, it fits very nicely bringing everybody under, not necessarily from a reporting perspective, but from a collaboration and matrix management perspective under one umbrella to, to have an output. Okay, integration and education. Is, is, that, is that the summary? Works for me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's leave it at there then for today. Uh, thanks, Stephen Kent, for joining us. MAPS members, oh man, we have a lot more to talk about. So continue the conversation at our community portal and don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.